50 down, 315 to go. My name is Chris. This is at a Thid near me, the podcast where I go to the movie theaters every single day for an entire year. Today, I'm going to be talking about the movie Strawberry Mansion and the French Dispatch, as well as the Music Hall Theater in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. It's the oldest active theater in all of New Hampshire. I believe it's the 14th oldest theater, active theater in, uh, in the United States. And it's concessions month, so we're going to be talking about Bunch of Crunch. That's the Nestle Crunch bar, kind of all broken up into uh, a bunch of pieces. Uh, and we're 50 days in, so kind of give a tally of some of the states I've gone to and uh, the theaters I've been to and the top five and bottom five movies I've seen so far. And uh, let's get right into some taking care of business right up top here. February 24th, which is a Thursday at 6 p.m., I'll be at the AMC Methuen checking out the greatest film of all time, The Godfather. Um, so come and check this out with me. I just checked, there are still some tickets available. Uh, I'll probably pop in around 5.30. I'll be in the lobby, I think all the way in the back. There's that like abandoned MacGuffin's bar back there. Uh, so I'll be hanging out there. If anyone wants to come over and talk Godfather before we go in and check it out, uh, please do come say hi. I'd love to, to say hi to anyone uh, who listens to the show and I'm always happy to talk Godfather. Um, so come by and check that out for sure if you're going to be in the area on Thursday, February 24th. I'd recommend getting your tickets ahead of time just because I think people are really excited The Godfather's back in theaters. I think they remastered not only the, the visual element of it, but I think the sound has been remastered as well. Uh, it's going to be in their Dolby Cinema, so hopefully it should sound and look great. So come and check that out. And I want to run a couple things by you guys as far as what qualifies as a movie or what works here. So the first movie I want to run by you folks is Code. So Coda is up for best picture. It's an Apple Plus TV uh, production. And Apple Plus, Apple TV, if you will, has not been in the Oscar game very much. I think this is only their second year really making movies that are up for major awards. Remember, Netflix has been doing this for, what, eight years now? They've never won an Oscar. Uh, so for a streaming service, even to be nominated is a pretty big deal. I, I don't know if Coda is going to win anything on Oscar night, um, but it is certainly a movie that's getting some major acclaim, which Apple, I don't know if it's used to. So Apple is doing something very unique. So starting next weekend, I think for only three days, they are releasing this in theaters. Now, they had to release this in theaters back in December to qualify for the Oscars, but I believe they only did it in New York and LA and it was for a very short time. But they're releasing it for three days only in various theaters all over the country. The hitch is that it's going to be free. Now, I know nothing about CODA, but I believe it has to do with uh, the hearing impaired. So I, I, I don't know if that's part of the reason why they're doing this. They're giving out tickets for free for this or what the why they're doing this for this particular movie in this fashion. Basically, it's free entry. Now, obviously, you have to reserve your ticket online, and it is playing at the Coolidge Corner Theater in Boston. Now, if I went and saw that, does that count for this project? Um, now, typically, the rule is I have to pay to get in somewhere. Now, uh, when I went to the Wilton Theater and saw the Rudolph Valentino movie, technically, I didn't pay to get in, but they had a suggested donation box, and I paid the suggested donation, which was $10 to get in. For this, I don't know if there's even a suggested donation. So, I'm almost leaning toward this would not count, which kind of bums me out because if this does count, I'm, I might go see this on Sunday uh, of next week. But let me know what you guys think. Feel free to tweet at me. Let me know what you think if, if CODA should count or not. Now, the other uh, movie, if you will, is the Oscar nominated shorts. So I think this actually should count. So this is something that's playing in a number of theaters as well, including, I believe, Kendall... Uh, square, uh, the Kendall, landmark Kendall Square, right in Cambridge, as well as the Portsmouth Music Hall. And this is something that you actually will see bring in some pretty decent box office numbers. If you look at the box office charts, this tip, this 
Oscar nominated block of shorts. Basically it's the five shorts that have been nominated short films, excuse me, that have been nominated for, uh, for best short, obviously. And they package them together and then release them as kind of one movie. If you will, you can buy them under one ticket and you'll, you'll see this, like I say, crack the top 20, 25, uh, for a particular week or even a couple of weeks, uh, as the, uh, as the Oscars get closer and closer. I think this should count. I know. I, I think I even brought this up in the very, very first episode. Um, but this is a standard package that comes out every year. And I think it's also a great way to kind of check out the shorts and see what's going on and maybe see some different filmmakers and, and stuff like that. So I, I, in, in my opinion, I think the shorts account, but maybe Coda should not. So feel free to tweet at me. The Twitter handle is at yeah, symbol, a theater near me. And let me know what you think. I think the Oscar nominated block should count and Coda should not, but let me know what you folks think as well. Okay. I went to the Luna theater on Friday. I'm going to talk about the Luna theater. The Luna Theater, easy for me to say, next episode, because I'm going there uh, the day you hear this on Sunday. And I want to talk about the Music Hall today instead. Music Hall opened its doors in 1878. It was a vaudeville theater when it opened. Um, it's located right smack in the middle of downtown Portsmouth. Uh, for me, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, Burlington, Vermont, those are the two best cities or towns in all of New England. I think the best part of New England is probably the main coast, but uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire is a perfect place to spend a weekend. I lived in Portsmouth for a couple of years. Uh, it has so many dozens and dozens of great restaurants. Uh, it has some interesting theaters to check out, has some cool shops. Uh, if you haven't been to Portsmouth, um, it's a great place to spend a weekend. Uh, and the music hall is a really fun part of Portsmouth. It's an 895 seat theater. And it has some acts that you might not expect in a small town like Portsmouth. But I've seen Brian Regan play there. Um, they have some pretty good authors come by. Dan Brown lives the town right over. So, you know, he wrote The Da Vinci Code, obviously. Uh, I know they have, they've had Margaret Atwood come by. Um, they've had some really good musical acts. And Tony Bennett's played there a few times. Um, so, you know, for that size, 895 seat, it's kind of a, a sweet spot for a lot of uh, musicians or authors to come by. So sometimes Portsmouth definitely, uh, you know, hits above their weight class a little bit with some of the talent that comes by there. And it's had a pretty interesting uh, history. So like I said, opened as a vaudevillian theater. And then uh, a man named Frank Jones bought the theater in 1901. Now, Frank Jones is a big name in Portsmouth. Uh, he owned a brewery. In fact, when I lived in Portsmouth, um, the second time I lived there, I lived in one of his old, they basically renovated an old Frank Jones brewery. If you drive through Portsmouth enough, you'll see the name Frank Jones everywhere. He's probably, I'd say the most, I'd say important figure in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, but he may be. I mean, he he was for, you know, for that time, that ninth, turn of the century, uh, he was a very important man in New Hampshire. Um, and he spent a lot of money in and around Portsmouth. He remodeled the theater in 1901. He put in, and the theater still has him, opera boxes. But right next to the theater, there are these like, you know, like you see in the movies, like those kind of like private boxes where you could watch the opera. I guess those are not in use. Um, but the theater also has a, uh, a really impressive balcony. So um, that's usually where I sit and watch movies. I'll go up at the balcony. It's because it's 900 seats. So if you're going to watch a movie, they're not going to come close to selling out. I will say that I saw the French dispatch there that had, I'd say there might've been 75 people there, which for seeing a movie uh, in the theaters for this project, that's about the most people I've seen in the theaters uh, for any one movie. But because the theater is so big, it didn't feel anything close to that. And obviously we were up top in the balcony. So um, might as well have been alone. I guess the theater was popular in the 20s, but uh, 
into the depression, I guess the theater did fall into some hard times. A local kittery man bought it in 1945 and renamed it the Civic. And I guess it was the Civic for about 40 years. And it was, the Civic was was almost primarily a movie theater. Um, and it was like the movie theater in, in Portsmouth, or at least downtown, uh, for many, many years. Um, I don't remember this. I didn't move to New Hampshire until 1989, so I have no memory of the Civic. But in the, uh, in the 80s, uh, the theater actually closed and a group of residents uh, in Portsmouth bought the theater uh, at an auction. Uh, and the theater became a nonprofit uh, center for the arts, which is what it is today. In the 30 years since that uh, theater, the theater was bought at that auction, uh, the amount of money and care has, that has been put back in that theater is amazing. I mean, I just think of the theater of how it looked when I was a kid and how it looks now. And it it's so it's such a nice experience. Right when you walk into the theater, uh, you're at the ground level, obviously. And right off the bat, I have to tell you, the best bathrooms in all of New Hampshire are at the Portsmouth Music Hall. It has a like grotto, at least I can speak for the men's room. It has a grotto uh, type design. So like it has like really intricate floor tiles, beautiful walls. It is an incredible bathroom. It is the best bathroom in the entire state. If you go to the music hall at all, even if you don't really have to go, go take a piss. It is worth it. It is an amazing, amazing, amazing bathroom. Also on that kind of ground level, like I said, when you walk in, they have a nice bar there. Um, so you definitely catch a drink before a movie or a show. Uh, and they have a pretty good sized lobby with some nice, I don't say benches, but like cool chairs to sit in. And then uh, if you're ready to go uh, to go see your movie or go see your show and you go upstairs and that's where you're going to have your concession stand. Uh, they also have, they sell drinks up there as well. They have popcorn and kind of anything you would need there, but it, it's a, it's a nice area that it's a fully stocked bar, uh, which for me is always a win, especially if going to a, a late night movie or a concert or what have you. Uh, the bar, the bar is, is pretty decent there. Uh, and then if you go upstairs again, that's how you access, you have access to the balcony, obviously. The balcony, I'll say the balcony is a secret because it's, it's pretty big, but it's almost always open. So even if you're thinking like, oh, is, is it, you know, there's not many people here, it's worth going up there and, and checking out. Like I said, it's almost like having your own little private area of this really majestic theater. The screen itself isn't terribly huge. I would say the sound isn't particularly great, um, but just the theater itself is so elegant and it, it really, it's so impressive. Um, the ceiling, if you look up, it is it is hand painted um, and it has some uh, constellation, like some stars are there. It's hand painted to look at the sky. It's just a really in, impressive place to watch a, a movie, especially, um, you really feel like you're in an old movie house. And like back in the days when going to the movie theaters was a really big deal, um, as opposed to uh, now when it, movies are a f certainly a fun thing to do, but it's not like a night out at the show. It's not like going to the opera. We're back, I think in the old days, it was a much more sophisticated affair. And going to the music hall kind of brings you back to some of that. It's a really wonderful place. I definitely recommend checking out. The music hall is one of my favorite theaters. Uh, anytime I see they have a movie playing, I always, you know, if I have opportunity to go see it there, I will. For instance, The Worst Person in the World, uh, that's the uh, the foreign film out of Norway. Uh, it's up for a couple Oscars. That's playing there. It's just playing at a couple other theaters as well, but uh, I'd much rather to see it at the Music Hall. Music Hall is such a great place to go see a show. Okay, so we're 50 days in on this project here. Uh, so I want to go over to some kind of facts and figures. I think every 50, 50 days we could kind of do this. It might be fun. A little look at uh, kind of where the journey has brought me so far. I've gone to 25 different theaters. Uh, over five states. So the state I've been to the most has been Massachusetts. I've been to Mass uh, 24 times, New Hampshire 21 times, Connecticut and New York twice each. And then I've been to Maine once. 
Uh, as far as the theaters I've been to the most, uh, this should surprise nobody. The O'Neill Cinemas in Epping, New Hampshire, I've been seven times. The other theaters I've been to are the most, the Landmark, Kendall Square, and the AMC Methuen, I've been to five times each. Uh, the Landmark Kendall Square is a, is a theater I expect to be going to pretty consistently for this trip. They almost always have movies that nobody else has. It's um, relatively cheap parking there. Uh, it's a nice theater. Like I said they have bad movies like that movie Jockey was playing there. I haven't seen that anywhere else. I think I'm going there this week to see a movie called Breaking Bread. It's a foreign film about the strife in the Middle East, but as it relates to chefs, they, they I said they consistently have movies that nobody else does. Uh, and the AMC Methuen, that's just, you know, the I have that AMC um, A-list Stubbs Pass. Uh, so, uh, you know, the AMC theater is uh, not one of Methuen is very close to me. So I imagine I'll keep going to that one a lot. And the, and the Regal Fox Run, I've been to four times. So the top five, bottom five movies I've seen so far. I'm going to do top six because top, the, my sixth favorite movie so far has been Casablanca. Number five is Parallel Mothers. Number four is Get Back. That's the Beatles uh, concert, uh, rooftop concert uh, on IMAX. Uh, number three, Licorice Pizza. Number two, Belfast. And the best movie I've seen so far is Back to the Future, which if you ask me uh, on Thursday night what the best movie I've seen so far is, uh, it will be The Godfather. I can guarantee you that. Here are the bottom five movies I've seen so far. Number five is Redeeming Love. This, of course, is the movie about the prostitute that gets saved by uh, a farmer in town, and then she finds religion and stops being a prostitute. Number four is Strawberry Mansion. This is uh, what I'm about to review here uh, in the next segment. Number three is Rifkin's Festival. This is the Woody Allen movie. It's probably his last film, hopefully his last film. Number, and this is, now we're in the F Troop. Two absolute worst movies I've seen so far. The King's Daughter. This is the Pierce Brosnan uh, film about uh, a king that finds a mermaid uh, that his daughter befriends. And the absolute worst movie I've seen so far this year is The Tiger Rising. The story about two children in Florida that find a caged tiger in the woods and stars Dennis Quaid, Queen Latifah. It is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in a theater. It is concessions month, of course. So let's talk Bunch of Crunch. Bunch of Crunch is the, uh, well, I guess the Crunch Bar, formerly known as Nestle's Crunch, um, that is uh, kind of all broken up. Similar in size as Raisinets or those cookie dough bites, uh, but obviously in the middle is the Crunch Bar filling. I would say of those three, Bunch of Crunch is the best uh, of, of those options. Um, I liked it. It's okay. Um, they're not bad. Uh, they're not my favorite, but I'm also not a huge chocolate guy, as you can probably tell if you've been listening this past month. I do like a Nestle Crunch Bar, though. I like that, you know, the crisp rice is good. And I, they are pretty good movie theater candy. Um, I, I would say Bunch of Crunch is, is a solid, solid choice for sure. It used to be, of course, Nestle Crunch. And we'll talk about the Nestle Crunch Bar uh, for a bit here. So Nestle Crunch was first released in 1928. And as we've talked about all month, because uh, it keeps coming up, Nestle sold their U.S. candy distribution uh, and manufacturing to Ferraro in 2018. And instead of being called Nestle Crunch, now the bar is simply known as Crunch. That's what it's called here in the U.S. Um, it's the first time ever that the Crunch Bar was not owned by Nestle in their first 90 years. Nestle Crunch has always used 
that like crisp rice. They made a few changes uh, pretty recently too in the last say, 10 or 15 years. The bars used to be larger, not enormously so, but but a little bit bigger. And they also used to be wrapped in tin foil. Um, they are no longer wrapped in foil. It seems to be, I went through a couple different sources. It seems to be just the, uh, the prospect of wrapping it twice was too time consuming. I don't know if the foil, I thought maybe the foil would be too expensive, but I didn't see that anywhere. I just saw that it was just the fact that it had to be wrapped twice was the reason they discontinued that. Uh, but I guess the good news is, um, as of 2013, they use 100% cocoa beans. Um, I guess that's to help the cocoa bean farmers and, um, Nestle was trying to do the right thing in 2013, uh, when they made that switch. So in theory, the chocolate should be better than it was before 2013, but you're not getting that same wrapping and the, the bar appears to be a little bit smaller. So in 1994, Buncher Crunch was released, but it was only sold in movie theaters until around 2012. Then it started to pop up in supermarkets and, and other stores. We saw that with the cookie dough bites that were originally just going to be in movie theaters. And then you know, 20 years later, you start to see it pop up in other places. So that's Bunch of Crunch. Um, only about what 10 days or so left in the month here. Uh, so if you have candies uh, that you that I haven't already tackled for concessions month that you definitely want to make sure I do before the end of the month. Uh, tweet at me, let me know uh, if I'm missing any. Um, only a few few days left here. Okay, Strawberry Mansion. Oh, this movie sucks. Uh, this is getting a D from me. Uh, this is basically, this felt like a student film to me. Now, this has been heavily praised by critics. Um, people really love the visual element of it. Uh, I found the story to be lacking and at times disappointing. It brought up some interesting ideas. So this movie takes place in 2035 and the initial concept in act one, if you will, is that your dreams are being recorded and the government can go in, watch those recordings and then tax you on your dreams. Um, also, uh, it, it later finds out that the government is putting advertisements in your dreams. So I think both of those things are really interesting things to, to talk about. Like, and I kind of wanted to be like, all right, if that's true, then what else is true? So if that is true in society, then how does society deal with that? But the story, Starry Mansion, doesn't really want to go there. Instead, it just really focuses on a couple characters in the story, the tax man and an old lady he's kind of working with. The last, the whole third act is just a dream. It's a, one of the tax man's dreams. And and it's just basically just a avalanche of, of visuals with no real story taking place. And I just didn't find that to be particularly interesting. I know dreams in movies or TV can be really hit or miss. Um, for instance, I didn't really like Twin Peaks. I don't really love some of the David Lynch stuff, but I really enjoyed the stuff in Sopranos. Uh, there's an episode of Sopranos called The Test Dream. And I really liked that episode. I thought it created a real feeling of dread. And you knew watching that episode or watching the dreams in Sopranos that, yeah, you're watching a dream, but it's going to have a real payoff to the rest of the story moving forward. With a movie like this, the whole end of the movie is a dream. There's nothing the dream is eventually going to pay off on. It's basically, you're in this dream. That isn't as compelling to me. The effects is very effects heavy because it's, it's so dream orientated and what they they had a small budget for this which is fine and i, I get it's an independent film it makes total sense um so what they decided to do is they kind of went the other way and made the effects like cheesy intentionally so it has a very like late 70s early 80s kind of like b movie feel to it look we're not talking 1984 george lucas level effects here you know we're talking like 1984 you know creature feature 
on channel 56 or channel 38 if you grew up in new england um 1980s level effects like this is not like but they're intentionally like leaning into that like kind of cheesiness but it kind of takes you out of the movie like the thing about the sopranos dreams that i thought were so compelling were like that's how dreams feel to me i know with the sopranos like with the test dream um people a lot of critics said these aren't these aren't how dreams feel to me and maybe that's kind of the issue i have with david lynch films is those aren't how dreams feel to me so this can be very personal maybe you are someone that dreams similar to how the dreams are in strawberry mansion um, but for me, it didn't, didn't feel natural at all. If you're looking to find, if you're okay with a movie that's strictly about visuals and you don't mind that it doesn't necessarily have a real narrative, uh, then go check it out. I, I, critics, I said, critics do gen generally like this movie. This has been well received for me. It, it, this just, it didn't feel right. And it was over overwhelmingly cheesy when I don't think it always had to be, that's not ever going to appeal to me. The, the nostalgia in lousy effects and then kind of corny dreams don't do it for me. Um, so this is getting a, a D for me. So the other movie I saw was The French Dispatch. Um, this is an incredibly disappointing movie by Wes Anderson. I'm going to end up giving this a D. I guess it's a little better than Strawberry Mansion, but not by very much. Uh, certainly more disappointing. I, I used to love Wes Anderson movies. Um, Royal Tenenbaums, Rushmore, uh, both, by the way, co-written by Owen Wilson, are fantastic movies. Uh, Rushmore is so funny and such a joy to watch, um, where this movie, by the time we're here in Wes Anderson's career, this is such a slog and has no humanity in it. And it's just a barrage of visuals and look how cute I am characters. It's supposed to, I think it's supposed to be like The New Yorker is like what the French Dispatch is supposed to be. No surprise, by the way, the New Yorker said this was the best film of the year. More proof that no one loves journalists more than other journalists. And and this is a movie that's kind of a tribute to journalists, if you will, or like magazines. They're three, I said, completely separate stories, which is fine. I don't, I don't mind in anthologies. Um, but Wes Anderson is so much more interested in showing you kind of the world he's built or the cute little things that the details that he wants to throw in your face then he is about creating an interesting story or anything about the characters except that they might be interesting. You don't ever care about any single character in this movie. At least I didn't. I, I didn't. Not a single one. And there, there's like dozens and dozens of characters. And he doesn't give you time to care about any of them because they all spend too much time just being quirky. And that works with something like Rushmore. That works with something like World of Tannenbaums is because you're not overwhelmed with characters. You have a few characters and yeah, they might be quirky. And yeah, they live in kind of this kind of, you know, wacky world. But the details are secondary to the actual characters themselves. Where ever since Owen Wilson stopped working with, stopped writing with Wes Anderson, excuse me. And that's after World of Tannenbaums. Wes Anderson became so much more about the cuteness than about the characters. And, and that's where he kind of loses me. Moonrise Kingdom, I thought was a very good movie. And, with, and I've not seen Grand Budapest Hotel, but I've seen every other Wes Anderson movie he's made. And this is the worst one by a long mile. And that's having seen Isle of Dogs, which I didn't really like. That's after seeing, I didn't really even like Steve Zizou, um, but those movies are okay and are substantially better than French Dispatch. And what a disappointment. This cast is amazing. You have Benicio Del Toro, Adrian Brody, Timothy Chalamet, Bill Murray, uh, Christoph Waltz, Edward Norton. And that's just a few of them, Tilda Swinton. This movie's stacked. Uh, it's, a, it's a who's who of great actors. Set design is very good. Like maybe it should have got an Oscar nomination for set design, um, but you just don't care. Um, you don't care about anyone involved. I don't know 
how you fix this with him. Now, Wes Anderson wrote this. He directed it as he typically does. Um, there was a time where there's probably kind of two roads Wes Anderson could have gone down. You can either kind of write and work on more traditional movies. When I say that, I mean like less about kind of these weird cutesy details you're kind of known for and try to do something kind of outside of your comfort zone. You know, Woody Allen even did it later in his career, like Match Point. Match Point's not a funny movie. It's a, it's a crime drama and it's quite good actually. Uh, and I don't like Woody Allen very much, but that's just an example of someone kind of doing something different. Obviously we've seen Spielberg, you know, he's had a couple of different times in his career where he's made big changes, where he's, instead of directing kind of the big action movies, he goes to doing much more dramatic stuff after Schindler's List. Now, obviously, Wes Anderson is never going to have the stature of a Spielberg or Woody Allen, so that might be an unfair comp, but he certainly has a certain style that he's very much known for, and he could have probably broken out of that, but now I almost feel like it's so ingrained in him, and with this, that's all this movie is, is the style. It's all style, no substance, and now he's 52, and this is all he's ever done. And I don't know what the next step is for him. I, I would love to see him do something that would be very different. Um, I would certainly go see that and be eager to see it because I think he has a lot to offer, but I don't know if I can sit through more of these just overly cutesy films anymore. Like I said Moonrise Kingdom was good because it was about the actual kids. Like you had characters you cared about. This is everything I don't like about Wes Anderson in one movie. It was so boring. It was just a barrage of just characters and faces and things you just, with no reason to like them. Uh, stay away from French Dispatch. I did not like this at all. I said getting a deep, maybe the most disappointing movie I've seen so far doing this. I'll be back on Tuesday. Um, I'll be talking about the Luna Theater, which I saw Strawberry Mansion. I'm also going to be seeing uh, Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind there, which I'll be talking about next episode as well. And I believe I'll be seeing the movie Breaking Bread, which is that foreign film I spoke about earlier. Uh, I will talk to you folks on Tuesday.